uh, Revelation 16, Revelation 16, which you notice verses uh, 12 through 16 by way of introduction here. I've entitled this, Frogs and Armageddon. All right, Revelation 16, verses 12 through 16. The sixth angel poured out his vial. Obviously, this is the, the pouring out of the, the seven vials here. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And notice the, the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils. Notice that statement. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And notice he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon all right? I want to point out here, actually, I want for us to see also uh, Revelation 9 as a cross-reference here in relation to the Euphrates River there. Revelation 9, notice verses 13 through 15. We see here four angels, verse 13 of Revelation 9, and the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, uh, which had, a tr- had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. Notice the number of the army of the horsemen were uh, 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them, and, and so on. I've, I've taught this before, and uh, what they used to say about Revelation 9 before the days of dispensationalism, the emphasis on dispensationalism, is that Revelation 9 is dealing with the Islamic rise, rise of Islam in the 600s and following, and I want you to think about, as, as we notice the, the uh, statement there, it talks about the, uh, verse 15, the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year. Uh, as, as I've read, uh, all of these are related to the Euphrates River. Notice, they're all coming, they're bound in the great river Euphrates for a, such a time. And you think about the Arabians, the Saracens, the Tartars, and the Ottoman Turks, they were all related to the Euphrates River. As, as far as this Islamic invasion, this is not, these aren't, again, all of this so-called literal translation, literal interpretation of Scripture. Right, so you have an army of, four, of horsemen that look like locusts and so on. Right, so is that literally true? Uh, I remember watching um, in my younger years the Left Behind, not, not the current Left Behind series, but the Left Behind video and, and um, was it, um, I forgot the name of the, the, the one movie, that the film that has the, all of these large, locust-like creatures, and they're taking their, long, their large tails and zapping people, you know, the supposed un- unbelievers, zapping people with, you know, the, these huge locusts, and they're taking these big tails around, and, and no, this, this, this is an Islamic invasion. This is hereafter, right? So this is fulfilled and being fulfilled prophecy, all right? So keep that in mind as we think about this, and as far as the river Euphrates back in uh, chapter 16, I want you to think about something here. It says, the, the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I, I used to teach this was a literal thing. No, the picture is as far as the Euphrates. You look back in Bible history, remember King Cyrus diverted the river so that, uh, so that uh, the Persian, Middle Persian Empire 
military could go march right into the city of Babylon and conquer it. Literally, they, they dried up the river Euphrates so that they could enter in the gates. There were great gates that were uh, in the river. So, so you keep, keep that in mind as you think about this. But I want you to think about something as far as related to this prophecy. If this, if this is literally preparing the way so that the kings can ride on horses, ride on horses to attack Israel, um, how, how long has it been since our military have fought on horses? So let me ask you, so is the Euphrates River drying up here so that the tanks can get to Israel? We, we, we buy into this literal interpretation, and we don't understand that prophecy often has a, a symbolic picture used to, picture, to, to uh, prophesy what is, is coming to pass. Notice that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So, so again, are, are they preparing the way for tanks to make it to Israel? I thought they flew a lot of their, their stuff into, into position now. So all of these things, we buy into all of these, these interpretations based on speculation, and we don't take into consideration that, that God is actually using this as a picture to show us what's coming to pass. Now, with that picture in mind, notice here it says in verse 13, and I saw, notice this is the, st- this is the same angel, the sixth angel that, sound, that poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and... In that context, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. What is the key word in verse 13? What, what is the word that's repeated? Mouth, right? Notice, yeah, and, yeah. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Notice, like frogs, they're not literal frogs. Exodus 8 talks about, you know, the literal frogs and the plagues. But notice they come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Notice very clearly the emphasis on the mouth. Now, as far as these unclean spirits like frogs, they're not literal frogs coming out of their mouths. As we, as we think about the, um, the context of this, Psalm uh, 105, verse 30, their land brought forth frogs in abundance and in the chambers of their kings. Talking about the, the um, Exodus plague, but we see three unclean spirits like frogs, and so we see in verse 14... The interpretation is given for us right, right immediately following. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to, to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. I want you to notice here what is being used to gather our global system together. Again, we've, we've, I've emphasized this global beastly kingdom. Here, here's what's bringing all this together. It's these unclean spirits spirits of devils that are working miracles and so on, bringing the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them together to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, as, as we notice here the three parts of this evil trinity, again, Satan always has his counterfeit of God. He, he always is going, because he wants to be like the Most High God. So he has his counterfeit trinity here. Notice unclean, the mouth, I should say, of the dragon the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. I'm going to show you a correlation of some of these. We see the dragon mentioned in chapter 12. In fact, I want you to notice here a couple things. Revelation 12, it says in verse 3, There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Oh, we've seen that elsewhere. Notice the key phrase, seven heads and ten horns to identify him, and seven crowns upon his heads. 
Right, so these crowns, talk, speaking of kings ruling, notice his tail drew the third part of the stars, the angels of heaven, and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born, and so on. So we see here this battle, this spiritual battle between the, the, the dragon, Satan, and even the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I want you to notice, and, and I want to emphasize, the dragon has seven heads, speaking of seven mountains we see in Scripture, and also ten horns, speaking of ten kings or kingdoms. Also, we see the beast in, in uh, Revelation 16 and uh, verse, uh, verse 13. We see the mouth of the beast. And, of course, we've seen in Revelation 13 very clearly, very, very thoroughly. That refers to political Rome, as we even see Revelation 17, 18 and other places. But I want to emphasize again, it has seven heads. The beast has seven heads and ten horns. Just like the dragon. Do you see any correlations yet? Then you talk about the false prophet. It says here, um, the end of verse uh, 13 in Revelation 16 again, out of the mouth of the false prophet, we see him uh, back in uh, Revelation 13 as, as having two horns like a lamb, but he speaks like a dragon. All three of these personages are re- interrelated. I, be- I believe the false prophet is papal Rome. That's pushing people towards political Rome in this world empire. Now, as I did some reading on this, there's three suggestions that I've come across as far as what this is talking about here, as far as these three frogs, spirits like frogs. The mouth, of course, is speaking of teaching. Here's the three things that, have, that were emphasized. First of all, apostate Christianity. We see in uh, uh, 2 Timothy 4 uh, that we read earlier uh, today. Notice uh, as we think about, you know, they won't endure sound doctrine, apostate Christianity. There's a falling away that will take place, apostate Christianity. Also, some suggest apostate Judaism, as we see Zionism today. In fact, hold your place there. I want you to see this in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, this, this is a suggestion that uh, was, was given as I was doing some reading on this passage. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 14 through 16. Right after... Uh, Paul talks about the, the word of God, you know, receiving it as not as the word of men, but as a truth, the word of God. Verse 14, for ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in, uh, are in Christ Jesus. For ye have also suffered like things, uh, for ye also have suffered like things of your countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Again, I, I emphasize this. There's no Judeo-Christianity. The, the Judeo part persecuted Christianity uh, from the beginning, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men. What else do you need in a list to realize that God's judgment is on them, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved? Notice this, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. So we understand apostate Judaism, also known as Zionism today. Third is Islam. The 600s, you know, and so on, one and a half billion uh, Muslims in our world. So that's been suggested. Now, I want you to notice something, though. Here's, I'm saying that was a suggestion. I'm, I'm just giving you something with that. But we have the emphasis on the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, and the mouth of the false prophet. We see in verse 14 again that they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to deceive them, to gather them together to this battle of the great day of God Almighty. 
I want you to notice 1 Timothy chapter 4. On purpose, I want to emphasize some of these things very carefully. Uh, For us to understand what we're talking about here as far as these spirits of devils, I believe we need to look at other passages to to cross-reference these things. This says in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some, not all, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That is a very important statement to notice in in, in, uh, comparison with Revelation 16. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Notice the, the two things that they emphasize. Forbidding to marry, that sounds like the Roman Catholic Church. That sounds like, you know, Buddhist monks. Various religions do this. Forbidding to marry, and notice, commanding to abstain from meats. That is a doctrine of devils. That's from seducing spirits. You know, you have to abstain from meat on Fridays, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Peter was told in Acts 10, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. Three times he had to be told this message because, because it's, it's very hard for, for somebody who's been indoctrinated one way to reverse and go the other way. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Notice very clearly this statement again in verse 1 before we turn away from here. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I want you to notice with me John chapter 8. So here's the mouth of the dragon. What I'm going to emphasize is the deception, the deception and false teaching that comes from the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Notice here it says in John 8 verse 44, Ye of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now we could compare this passage with 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where it talks about the angels of light. You know, it's no marvel for Satan comes as an angel of light. He's a master deceiver. Verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the, truth, say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Notice that statement. He that is of God heareth God's words. Uh, that, that needs to be preached in independent Baptist churches just as much as anywhere else because there's a lot of people who don't want to hear God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto them, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? They're just, they're just going to start slinging dirt. That's exactly how they respond. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. The mouth of the dragon will speak forth lies. The mouth of the beast will speak forth political lies. I'm convinced, I am convinced, every time we get into another campaign season, I am convinced we're going to hear more rhetoric and lies than we will hear the truth. Lies, 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 because they're of the father, the devil. I don't care how Republican they sound. I'm not saying everyone, but, but the reality is the ones who are telling the truth, they're being ignored by the media. You realize there's a, I've been told there's a thousand people running for president. A thousand people. How many do you hear of? I see they have to be a Republican. Or, so how many Republicans are running? How many Democrats? We barely even hear about the independents. Think about this. The mouth of the beast will speak political lies. The mouth of the false prophet will speak lies of the papacy and promotes the politi- political beast and 
again, he's called a false prophet back in Revelation 16, so we're going to hear false prophecies coming from the mouth of the, of the papacy, the false prophet. Now, here's, I want to bring this application. As a Baptist preacher, if I started quoting all kinds of Catholic theologians, would you be nervous? I hope so. So let me ask you. Let's go a step further. If I started teaching all kinds of statements from Jesuits, would you be nervous? In most cases, we aren't. I, brought, I introduced something to you about a year and a half ago, and I'm, on purpose I'm reemphasizing this. First of all, I found some new quotes. But second of all, I, I know for a fact that I have at least a, you know, two, three, maybe, young preachers that are studying out this issue. So I'm going to reemphasize something as far as, this might be reviewed for some, but I'm going to reemphasize some things as far as the Jesuits. I mentioned a few weeks back the book, Secret History of the Jesuits. And what I emphasized from that book, just as a summary, the goal of the Society of Jesus, as they're officially called, is to infiltrate every area of society. Hang on to that. To infiltrate every area of society and also to infiltrate Protestant denominations and colleges. That is their goal. But what I'm going to emphasize here today is We have already been quoting Jesuits for decades, and we don't admit it. We don't even see it. Matthew 7.15 says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They're preying upon believers in Christ. I'm going to mention this. I went to the list, notable alumni of Jesuit schools. I want to use this by way of illustration to emphasize how much the Jesuits have actually infiltrated our culture, and we don't even know it. As, as I go down to that list, there's a long list on, on uh, Wikipedia, um, TV movie stars and producers, many of them are Jesuits, world politicians, many nations, political leaders, communist leaders are Jesuit trained. Also pro athletes and coaches, the NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle was Jesuit trained, Don Shula, Vince Lombardi were Jesuits. Owners of professional teams, pro athletes, and so on. Corporate leaders, big banksters, are all, in many cases, Jesuit trained. Famous authors, leading educators and attorneys, scientists, mathematicians, and doctors are Jesuit trained, trained in Jesuit universities and colleges. Scientists, mathematicians, doctors. Federal judges, let me mention some names, Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, um, Antonin uh, uh, Scalia, Clarence Thomas, Edward Douglas White, to name a few, they're all Jesuit trained. Um, popes, of course, Pope Francis, uh, skeptics like David Hume, French, Frenchman uh, Voltaire, all of them are, are Jesuit trained. Historians, this was an interesting one. I, I came across a recommendation for the, I think it's like 11 history books by Will Durant. Well, I started reading the first book, and I was like, wait a minute, this, this sounds strange. There, there's nothing of biblical history, and he's talking about pagan history and all that kind of stuff, you know, ancient pagan history and stuff. Well, then I came to, came to realize that he is a Jesuit-trained writer, and he's writing his history from the Jesuit perspective. No wonder I didn't like it. Joe Paterno, Penn State. George Barna, political pollster. 
William Bennett, Secretary of Education, John Boehner, Bill Clinton, Georgetown University, Andrew Cuomo, New York Governor, Fidel Castro of Cuba was a Jesuit trained, uh, William Casey, former uh, director of the CIA, Janet Napolitano, uh, Homeland Security, John Brennan, U.S. Deputy National Secretary Advisor for Homeland Security, Pat Buchanan, William Buckley Jr. is a conservative uh, commentator, Bing Crosby, Bob Newhart, Geraldine Ferraro. I mean, you have all spectrums, you know, supposedly conservative and liberals. Charles Carroll was the last surviving and only Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, he was a delegate to the Continental Congress from Maryland, Catholic state. Um, uh, Daniel Carroll, one of the founding fathers of the U.S., was Jesuit trained. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes. Michael Ferris, this was a, one that surprised me, Chancellor of Patrick Henry College, but also Chairman of the Homeschool Legal Defense. He was Jesuit trained. Anthony Fauci, Lyndon B. Johnson, John Kerry, Chris Matthews, Gavin Newsom out in California, Leon Panetta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Prominent, prominent Jesuits. What, what's the point of that? They have infiltrated our society and we didn't even know it. They are deceptive. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Clarence Larkin is an American Baptist pastor who lived from 1850 to 1924. His book, Dispensational Truth, has been described this way. The greatest book on Bible prophecy, the dispensationalist second Bible, and the standard authority on dispensationalism. That's the, the, the praise that comes, comes for that book by Clarence Larkin. What is very interesting is he, uh, in his book, and towards the introduction there, he mentions three different, as he calls them, schools related to prophecy. Notice with me 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, this is repeat information, but I'm trying to bring it all together into one lesson, make it easier for somebody who's studying out this issue. And again, what I want for us to see and understand is we've already been taught doctrines of devils by seducing spirits. The frogs that come out of the mouth of the false prophet have deceived us. Notice it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. Notice this statement, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. This was written in the first century. Saying that the resurrection is past already and over the, overthrow the faith of some. One of the schools that is mentioned by Clarence Larkin is the preterist school, which says this. Everything was fulfilled by A.D. 70, or at least by the fall of Rome, including the coming of the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? Including the coming of the Lord. Well, I want you to consider, in fact, I, as I was doing my study on prophecy, I came across a pastor that uh, taught through, a book of, through the book of Revelation, and I, I just thought it was interesting. I, I, as I started listening to him, I realized he was a preterist, and he tried to emphasize in scripture, by Scripture that everything was fulfilled by A.D. 70, with the fall of Jerusalem. What I want to emphasize with this preterist school is it was started by a Jesuit Alcazar. Again, it was introduced by a Jesuit in the 1600s. Are you catching on with the Jesuit thing here? The second school that Clarence Larkin mentions is the historical school. I'm going to emphasize this is where I stand today doctrinally as far as prophecy is concerned. Why? Because of my study of history and study of scripture both together. Here's what he says about the historical school. Interprets the apocalypse, the revelation, as a series of prophecies predicting the events that were 
to happen in the world and in the church from John's day to the end of time. Remember I emphasized in our study on prophecy hereafter in Revelation 4 verse 1. The advocates of the school interpret the symbols of the book of Revelation as referring to certain historical events that have, have and are happening in the world. They claim that Antichrist is a system rather than a person and is represented by the harlot church of Rome. They interpret the time element in the book on, on the year-day scale. This school has had, has had some very able and ingenious advocates. Notice that statement. This view, like the preceding, was unknown to the early church. It appeared about the middle of the 12th century and was systematized at the beginning of the 3rd century by Abbot Joachim. Subsequently, it was adopted and applied to the Pope by the forerunners and leaders of the Reformation and may be said to have reached its zenith in Mr. Eliot's Horae Apocalypticae. It is frequently called the Protestant interpretation because it regards popery as exhausting all that has been predicted of the anti-Christian power. Listen to this statement. It was a powerful and formidable weapon in the hands of the leaders of the Reformation, and the conviction of its truthfulness nerved them to love not their lives unto the death. This is a martyr's martyr's theory of, of, of prophecy. It was the secret of the martyr heroism in the 16th century. The Futurist School, third one. The Futurist School interprets the language of the apocalypse, quote-unquote, literally, except such symbols as are named as such, and hold that the whole of the book from the end of the third chapter yet is yet future and unfulfilled, and that the greater part of the book from the beginning of the chapter 6 to the end of the chapter 19 describes what shall come to pass during the last week of Daniel's 70 weeks. Again, this is dispensationalism. In its present form, it may be said to have originated at the end of the 16th century with Jesuit Ribera. This is the question I asked before. Since when are we getting our doctrines from Jesuits who actuated by the same motive as Jesuit Alcazar, the preterist view, sought to rid the papacy of the stigma of being called the Antichrist and so referred referred the prophecies of the apocalypse to the distant future. This view was accepted by the Roman Catholic Church. Not those who were persecuting, you know, not the churches that were, were persecuted by the Roman Catholic. It was accepted by the Roman Catholic Church and was for a long time confined to it. Why? Because it came from a Jesuit. But strange to say, it has, was, has wonderfully revived since the beginning of the 19th century among Protestants. 1800s by John Nelson Darby. The futurist interpretation of Scripture is the one employed in this book, Clarence Larkin. How many quotes do we need to, under, to hear to understand that futurism is a doctrine of devils from Jesuits? Let me quote a Catholic. This is a quote I came across. This is from How the Leaven of the End Times Prophecy Deception Spread. Catholic writer G.S. Hitchcock confirmed the origin of these anti-Protestant counter-theories with this statement. The Futurist School, founded by the Jesuit Ribera in 1591, looks for Antichrist, Babylon, and a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem at the end of the Christian dispensation. The Preterist School, founded by the Jesuit, Alcazar, in 1614, this is a Roman Catholic writing this, explains Revelation by the fall of Jerusalem or by the fall of pagan Rome in 410 A.D. That's G.S. Hitchcock in The Beasts and the Little Horn. Also, Dean Henry Alford in uh, his Greek Testament declares, the founder of this system, futurist, in modern times appears to have been the Jesuit Ribera about 1580. The preterist view 
found no favor and was hardly so much as thought of in times of, of primitive, primitive Christianity, probably because Paul, Paul added, you know, made statements about that, uh, but um, this, this view is said to have been first promulgated in anything like completeness by the Jesuit Alcazar in 1614. Uh, I mean, I, I can give you quote after quote. Here's a Baptist, George Eldon Ladd, who is a Baptist pastor, a New Testament scholar. He's a professor of New Testament and theology at Fuller Theological Seminary, back before it went uh, ultimately liberal. But he made this statement in 1590. Ribera published a commentary on the revelation of, as a counter-interpretation, uh, counter-interpretation to the prevailing view among Protestants which identified the papacy with the Antichrist, Ribera applied all of Revelation but the earliest chapters to the end time rather than to the history of the church. Antichrist would be a single evil person who would be received by the Jews and would rebuild Jerusalem. A Baptist in the Blessed Hope book that he wrote in 1956, speaking of Jesuit Ribera being the source of this. Uh, H. Grad and Guinness uh, lived until 1910. Again, so many quotes I could give you. I want to emphasize this last quote here. This is uh, Dr. Grant Osborne in his book on the Revelation. And uh, this is what he says about futurism. This, is, th- this was the method employed by some of the earliest fathers, Justin, Irenaeus, Hippolytus. But with the triumph of the allegorical method, taking a spiritual approach to the book after origin, and of the amillennial view, no, no millennium, of Augustine and Tychonius, the futurist method was not seen again for over a thousand years. The first to develop once more a literal view of the book of, of the book of Revelation was Franciscus Ribera, a Spanish Jesuit who wrote in the late 16th century to counter the Reformation, anti-papal interpretation. While he was not truly a futurist, he turned the attention back to the early fathers, and after him, that view turned, uh, returned to prominence and stands alongside the others as equally valid. Now, again, I'm asking the question. As a Baptist preacher, if I started quoting all kinds of Jesuits, all kinds of Catholic theologians, would you be nervous? We are no longer nervous. Hopefully you are, but because I've been teaching you the truth. But here's the reality of it. When a dispensationalist even admits that the Jesuits are the source of this false teaching. Okay, let's not even call it false at this point. If, if we admit that it's the Jesuits that's the source of this teaching, then why are we repeating it? Another one, Dr. Thomas Ice. I've mentioned his name before. He's with the Pre-Trib Rapture Research Center, Liberty University. Listen to this statement. The Reformation, I mean, he, he writes all kinds of stuff on Pre-Trib Rapture. The Reformation brought a return to a study of the sources in Northern Europe, these, those sources included the early church writers. Why are we emphasizing early church writers instead of scripture? Amen. The early church writers and aided in a renewal of the study of prophecy from a futurist perspective within the Roman Catholic and then the Protestant churches. Here's a dispensationalist who admitted it came first from the Roman Catholic Church. The Jesuit Francisco Ribera, lived 1537 to 1591, was one of the first to revive an undeveloped form of futurism around 1580. Here's a dispensationalist admitting it. Jesuits are part of this. Because of the dominance of historicism, did you hear that? Because of the dominance of historicism, because of all the Protestants and Baptists, notice futurism made virtually no headway in Protestantism until the 1820s. 
It was confined to the Catholic Church for hundreds of years. That should tell us something right there. In the late 1820s, futurism began to gain converts and grow in the British Isles, often motivated by revived interest in God's plan for Israel. There's a key. During which time it gained one of its most influential converts in John Nelson Darby. Through Darby and other brethren expositors, futurism spread to America and throughout the evangelical world. The last 100 years have seen for the first time the full development of consistent futurism. This has, this has led in turn to the formulation of dispensationalism and a clear understanding of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. What I think is very interesting, as I was doing some reading, I came across a, a, a list of 21 goals of the Illuminati and the Committee of 300. This book was actually written by John, uh, Dr. John Coleman in 1993. The book is entitled, from, it's entitled The Conspira Conspirator's Hierarchy, The Story of the Committee of 300. Listen to goal 13 that's listed of 21 goals of the Illuminati and the Committee of 300. I, oh, that's conspiracy theories. Yeah, here's the reality of it. It's a conspiracy theory that is often proven, and in most cases it's proven eventually. Goal 13. Listen to this. This is something I had never, never heard before. To continue to build up the cult of Christian fundamentalism. The wording. Listen to the wording. To continue to build up the cult of Christian fundamentalism begun by the British East India Company's servant, Darby. John Nelson Darby was in the payroll of the Rothschilds. You, you, you do a study on the British East India Company, that was a wicked, wicked. In fact, they still have an office in the Rothschild's compound, by the way, which will be misused to strengthen the Zionist state of Israel by identifying with the Jews through the myth of God's chosen people and by donating very substantial amounts of money to what they mistakenly believe is a religious cause in the furtherance of Christianity, end quote. That's goal 13 of the 21 goals of the Illuminati and the Committee of 300. We have been deceived. Here's some historical facts. John Nelson Darby made several teaching trips to the U.S. from England, at least five, some say six. Um, and again, in the 1860s, John Nelson Darby was put on the payroll of the British East India Company. British East India Company, by the way, you know, I've told you before, Karl Marx also was, but we're never told that. British East India Company often gave grants to pseudo-Christian ministries. And another example of this is John D. Rockefeller, who gave almost $35 million to the University of Chicago. Do you realize that the University of Chicago started out as a Baptist university? John D. Rockefeller claimed to be a Baptist. Well, with a lot of money comes strings attached. A lot of money brings requirements to teach certain things a certain way. That's, the, that's how the liberalism came into the University of Chicago, and people went there believing it was Baptist and it was a liberal school. The fundamentalist movement became strongly indoctrinated with dispensationalism. That's, that's history. That is history. You, you do a comparison of some other things, China Inland Mission, London Missionary Society, and others, all became well-funded promoters of Darby's teaching. All right. How many of you have heard the name Hal Lindsey? I've mentioned him before. I've, I've mentioned this before, but I, I want to emphasize this. He's often called the father of modern prophecy. Futurism was created. This is an article from, um, from uh, oh, I forgot, Hal Lindsey, the Jesuit con uh, Connection. is an article. Futurism was created by the Jesuits during the Counter-Reformation. For 230 years, it was not taught outside the Catholic Church. 
in early Victorian England, it was unlikely that a Protestant would read a prophecy book written by a Jesuit, for the order was held in wide contempt at that time in Europe. It's no longer held in wide contempt. In 1773, it had been disbanded by the Pope himself for its treachery. The term Jesuit is synonymous, synonymous with terms like deceit, chicanery, infiltration, and intrigue. Patiently, they managed to get a foothold for their counterinterpretation in England by having a Jesuit named Lacunza publish this interpretation of Revelation under the name of a Jewish rabbi, Ben Ezra, supposedly a convert to Christ, Edward Irving, and then John Darby got the teaching into Protestantism. Futurism was popularized in 1900 through a network of Jesuits and Zionists using an imposter, C.I. Schofield, as a front. Schofield credits B.F. Westcott on the second page of the introduction of his Bible for his influence. Westcott and Hort are wicked, wicked. They're behind all of the modern Bibles. Westcott appears to have been a Jesuit plant within the Church of England. Very interesting. So as far as this uh, Jesuit connection and Hal Lindsey, you have Georgetown in Washington, D.C., you have Boston College, you have Creighton University in Omaha, Fordham, uh, New York City, Donald Trump went there for two years, Loyola University, Gonzaga University, Spokane, Washington. As far as Gonzaga, uh, there's 29 Jesuit colleges and universities in the United States, by the way. Going on with this article. History repeats itself largely because this 500-year-old order does not change its methods or tactics. So when the father of modern prophecy announced that he sent his two daughters to Gonzaga University, the lights went on. Gonzaga University is one of 28 at that time. It's 29 now, but 28 co-educational universities affiliated with the Society of Jesus in the United States. Located in Spokane, Washington, it is well known for a successful basketball program. The Gonzaga Alumni Directory for 2002 lists Robin and Jenny Lindsay as 1985 graduates with degrees in Bachelor Arts. They're both married and live in Inglewood, Colorado, and Pacific Palisades, California, and so on. So, so, so why would a prophecy expert send his daughters to a leading Jesuit school if he's not a Jesuit, or at least tied in with them? Over the last 400 years, Jesuits have established a worldwide network of schools and universities. I went to a list of Jesuit educational institutions on Wikipedia. 189 colleges and universities around the world. 189. In 1749, there were more than 700 across Europe alone. 100 in the rest of the world. It started from Europe and spread out around the world. Jesuits, of course, were suppressed during the 18th and 19th centuries, but they've continued their doctrines spreading on. Again, the Bible very clearly told us the working of miracles. You think of the Word of Faith movement, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland. All of them are allied with Rome. It says they go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. What I think is very interesting is in the Old Testament, remember uh, Micaiah tells about a, a prophet or explains a prophecy as to why all of the, all of the uh, prophets were, were supporting you know, King Ahab. and uh, Actually, I guess at that point it was King Ahab's son. You know, why, why were all of them in agreement? They say, oh, yeah, go and prosper, go and prosper. Remember Micaiah, what Micaiah said is that, the, that God approved a plan to send, that, that uh, evil spirits would go forth and deceive all the prophets, the prophets of Baal. 
Guess what's happened, in, I believe, in our modern day? Frogs, frog-like spirits have gone forth. You think about the deception, the deception of this whole plan. So that now Baptists will treat a preacher who preach, preaches what used to be preached in Baptist churches. Baptist preachers will now preach a Bible preacher as an heretic because I won't preach Jesuit doctrines anymore. I think there's been a little bit, little bit of deception. What's the whole purpose of this? To gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Well, the Lord gives an announcement in verse 15. Remember, we saw it earlier. The Lord's announcement is, Behold, I come as a thief. It's going to be sudden, and it's going to surprise unbelievers. We see other references, 2 Peter 3, 1 Thessalonians 5. And then Jesus makes this statement, Blessed is he that watcheth, readiness for the Lord's coming, and he that keepeth his garments, as he walk naked, and, and they see his, and his, uh, see his shame. Notice with me, Revelation, Revelation now, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. We're almost finished. That is written for believers. Revelation. Oh, I, th- I thought the believers were all raptured out of here. That, that's, the, that's the Jesuit teaching that I've been talking about. Revelation 3, verse 14. The angel of the church of the Laodiceans, I believe we live in a Laodicean type of age. I'm not saying there's, there's seven ages of church history, but we, we have more Laodicean churches today than we have Philadelphia churches or whatever. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, we have so much lukewarm Christianity today, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. This does not mean that God wants us, the Lord wants us to be cold towards him. He wants us zealous, hot, or he wants us refreshing, cold. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Oh, that sounds like modern day Christianity. Yeah, we've we've got our big buildings. We've got money in the bank. We don't need the Lord. Wow. Knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the real spiritual condition of modern day Christianity for the most part. I, the Lord, here's the Lord. It says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, true spiritual riches, that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment. The Bible tells us very clearly that white raiment speaks of righteous living. That thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. You think about this righteous living. We, we have so many prophets, so-called, prophet experts, are living immoral, wicked lives, secretly. The shame of their nakedness. Then we have scandals where they end up in prison and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but they're prophecy ex- experts. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. We, we have been so blinded by all this, these Jesuit doctrines and teachings we cannot even see what's really going on in our world today. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I am convinced in our modern-day Christianity, Jesus would not be welcome in most of the independent Baptist churches today. The real Bible, Jesus. As I was preaching through the Gospel of John years ago, 
In fact, this was uh, my first years, I think my first year in Hawaii. As I studied in detail the Gospel of John, I began to realize most churches, modern-day Christianity, would not accept, would not welcome in the true Bible Jesus. Why? Because there's a lot of Phariseeism. Verse 16, Revelation 13 again says, Armageddon. I'm just mentioning this as we finish up here. This is the only time Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible, but this is one of the biggest teachings that everybody speculates about. Just one time, Armageddon is in the Bible one time. He gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Now, the Bible, the Old Testament speaks of the Valley of Megiddo, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Um, I, I think it's the book of Joel talks about the Valley of Decision. Who's gathering them together? You look back in the, at the, uh, the context in Revelation 16, the dragon is the one gathering them together, but the Lord is using this to bring judgment and to, to take control of the kingdoms of the earth. He gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. I want you to notice something here. Um, Armageddon. This is not the valley of Megiddo. This is the mountain, the mountain of Megiddo. This is a battle against the Lord, and as I've emphasized, not against Israel, as we see in Revelation 19. Revelation 19 and so on. Even as you go through the verse, verses following, verse 17 and following, I believe this is where the Lord takes control of the kingdoms. Verse, uh, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven. Notice from the throne saying, it is done. As, as, as far as the Lord is concerned, it's a finished situation. There are voices and thunders and lightnings. and There's a great earthquake, such as it's not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake. Remember we saw in Hebrews 12 where it says the Lord is going to shake the earth. That's what that's all about. Shaking the kingdoms of this world. Hebrews 12. The Lord is going to shake everything up greatly someday as he takes control of the kingdoms of this earth. I, I believe very strongly, very strongly. The beast, as I've told you, the beast has already been around for hundreds of years. <laughs> what don't we understand about that? He's going to be around. The Roman Empire is going to be around until the Lord comes. So you have your political Rome and you have your papal Rome. Rome is going to continue until Jesus Christ comes. What don't we understand about Scripture? This is not something that starts the last seven years before the Lord's coming. Very clearly, I believe, this uh, it says here, the cities of the nations uh, fell. Why? Because God is bringing judgment and shaking things up. Islands flood away. Mountains were not found. Great hail. Uh, in the Bible, very clearly, we see often, often, we see that uh, hail is used as part of God's judgment. Uh, I'm just going to mention this verse as we, as we finish up here. Revelation 11, verse 19. And the temple of God was heaven, opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and great hail, uh, an earthquake and great hail. Verse 15 says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Uh, that sounds like Psalm 2. Why, why do the heathen rage? Why do the people imagine a great, you know, a wicked thing? You think about all the wickedness that's going on in our world today. It's all going according to God's plan. But again, here's what I want to emphasize today. Don't listen to the frogs. The Bible clearly told us, did, did it not, that these frogs are unclean spirits of devils. Going about to gather everybody together, Oh, it's very interesting. 
so many people are no longer gathered around God's truth. They're gathering around all of these Jesuit teachings. I've said this so many times now. I, I I do not want to continue being a part of teaching Jesuit doctrines. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the truth of the source of all this teaching that we are indoctrinated with today. Lord, Lord, how many times do we have to have somebody quote and and emphasize this is from Jesuits that we're being taught today. Lord God, help us to be discerning of the unclean spirits like frogs that are gathering so many people together to Armageddon. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.